What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Whether you're thinking of divorcing your narcissistic spouse, right in the middle of it, or have finalized your divorce, the tactics are the same. If this sounds like you, you need to know about Christine Hammond's new masterclass series, How to Survive a Divorce with a Narcissist. In this four-hour video series, Christine Hammond introduces the toxic tactics that narcissists use to abuse, humiliate, and manipulate you, and teaches you exactly how to recognize these tactics and navigate through them with mastery and confidence. How to Survive a Divorce with a Narcissist is a deep dive, a masterclass that'll show you how narcissists use tactics like bait and switch, scare tactics, roller coaster ride, and child's play. It's How to Survive a Divorce with a Narcissist, a four-hour recorded video masterclass with Christine Hammond. For more information or to purchase today, just go to growwithchristine.com forward slash narcissism. That's growwithchristine.com forward slash narcissism. This masterclass will change your life. Again, that's growwithchristine.com forward slash narcissism. This is Understanding Today's Narcissist. Brought to you in part by psychcentral.com. And now here's your host, Christine Hammond. Today I'd like to go backwards and talk about what is a personality disorder. And the reason we're doing this is so that you can get a better idea of what a personality disorder is and is and isn't in and of itself. That's very helpful when dealing with somebody who's narcissistic or might have one of the other personality disorders, such as obsessive compulsive, paranoia, antisocial, dependent, avoidant, borderline, just to name a few. So let's go in and dive into this. Eventually, as is the case in everyone's life, whether it's a family member, a coworker, neighbor, or friend, you're going to come across somebody who has a personality disorder. Although it can usually be hard to discern if the person has a personality disorder at the beginning of their relationship, its presence will soon come to light eventually. You're going to find out. So having an accurate understanding of both what a personality disorder is and where it may be coming from is essential to keep the frustration of navigating them to an absolute minimum. So what is a personality disorder? It helps to begin with a visual image of a bell-shaped curve. You probably remember this from school when your teachers would say that they are going to grade you on a bell-shaped curve. If you were to map empathy as a personality characteristic on the graph of this bell-shaped curve, you would see the standard deviation at the highest point. The larger part of the curve in a range of 
plus or minus one in either direction of the standard deviation. So if you think of it like at the very center of the curve, the highest part of the curve, let's just say that empathy is there. And so when we talk about the standard deviation that's in either direction, you go plus or minus 1%. So that is the largest part of the curve representing what we would call a normal amount of empathy. The majority of the population is going to reside within that. Those with a standard deviation of greater than one but less than two either have too much empathy or too little empathy compared to the average person. So this is what we call the medium range of the curve, like where the curve starts to slope down on either sides. And more than two standard deviation points in either direction place empathy at what we call a dysfunctional level. So this is the point on the graph where too much empathy or lack thereof becomes part of a disorder. This is the smallest part of the curve. So you can see it affects very little of the population. This same procedure or method can be applied to each one of the traits that are identified in personality disorders as characteristics. So we just use empathy as one, but you could apply the same amount of thing to other traits such as superiority, or adaptability, or personableness, or aggressiveness. All of these things are just general traits. And people who have them in the far ends of the reach, not at the average level, those are the ones with the personality disorders. So where does this come from? This question is a topic of so many scientific studies. With the information that's currently available today, it's believed that half of a personality disorder's origin is biological and the other half is environmental. It's my opinion and what I contend is that there's a third component that comes into play later on, which is choice. So let's talk about the three factors as I just identify them. The biological component means that someone in the family tree also has a personality disorder and similar characteristics were passed down through the genes. To be considered a biological trait, the ancestor's personality disorder does not need to be the exact same as the descendants. There are several characteristics which apply to more than one personality disorder and all can manifest differently. So for instance, empathy is a perfect example of that. So empathy for is um, non-existent usually for narcissistic or antisocial personality disorder, but you will see it in abundance for people who have borderline personality disorder and sometimes dependent personality disorder. The personality disorder just needs to be there in the same way a person inherits other personality traits from their ancestors. Other examples of this include sensitivity, compassion, determination, or perfectionism. So that's part one, the biological component. Part two is the environmental component. The environmental component can come from a variety of sources. A parent who has a personality disorder may model the behavior as being the correct way to live. A traumatic event, severe childhood illness, or repeated abuse can also trigger the underlying development of a personality disorder. This does not mean that everyone who has these events will develop a personality disorder. Rather, it is part of the current explanation for the existence of one. A parent can also increase of a personality disorder through incorrect use of discipline, 
inconsistency, and unsafe environments, and overgiving to the point that a child actually feels entitled. So those are all ways in which a personality disorder can come to manifest as an environmental part. Understanding that they could have the biological part, but without the environmental part triggering it, the biological part could just lay dormant for their entire life um, and then not come out at all because there was no environmental trigger. So here's the third component that I wanted to talk to you about. Remember, we talked about biological, environmental, and the third factor, I believe, is choice. At some point, a person, usually in the teen years, between the ages of 12 and 18, makes a conscientious decision to be a certain way. The decision then becomes an integral part of who they are transitioning into becoming at the subconscious level. For instance, a teen might despise an overly emotional parent, which is their biology, because their discipline was never consistent, which is environmental, and therefore decide, make a decision not to show emotion. This is an oversimplification, but it serves the point that choice could also be a factor. So as the result of having an overly emotional parent that had an inconsistent discipline, the child might instead decide they don't want to show emotion and might become very rigid in their ideas of how things should be done and overly structured. So that's just an example of what I believe is choice. So those were the three different parts that actually put together a personality disorder. So when does a personality disorder develop? Typically, a personality disorder cannot be diagnosed in a person until they reach 18 years of age. But for many people with personality disorders, the evidence of it must exist in early teens. We usually look for a history of five years. Sometimes the traits of a personality disorder are seen in the very early years, but not the personality disorder itself. Traits are not the same as a disorder. Think back to the bell-shaped curve that we talked about. A trait that is in the, in the medium range, whereas a disorder is in the smallest range. So you could have a trait such as a lack of empathy or a minimal amount of empathy, but it's not at the complete disorder or dysfunction level, which is no empathy at all. A trait is not as intense as a disorder. Rather, it is a milder version of it. So a child can display the traits, but not actually ever develop the, the disorder itself. The reason for the delay in diagnosis is best explained through Eric Erickson's eight stages of psychosocial development. The fourth stage from age 12 to 18 is identity versus confusion. During these years, a teen is experimenting with a variety of personalities from family and peers to see which is most likely that they want to be. If all goes well, they don't formally develop their identity until 18 at the earliest. Therefore, personality disorder cannot be diagnosed until a personality is established. So what is the technical definition of a personality disorder? Well, according to the DSM-5, a personality disorder must meet these criteria. First, it's an enduring pattern of inner experience and behavior that deviates markedly from the expectations of the individual's culture. Think of that bell-shaped curve that we talked about before. This pattern is manifested in two or more of the following areas. 
There's four items listed here. Number one, cognitive, ways of perceiving and interpreting self, other people, and events. Number two, affectivity, the range, intensity, ability, and appropriateness of emotional responses. Number three, interpersonal functioning. And number four, impulse control. The second part of the definition is this. The enduring pattern is inflexible and pervasive across a broad range of personal and social situations. The next part is the enduring pattern leads to clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. The next part of the definition, the pattern is stable and of long duration and that its onset can be traced to adolescent or early adulthood. Next part, the enduring pattern is not better explained as a manifestation or consequence of another mental disorder. And last, the enduring pattern is not attributed to the psychological effects of substance, drug abuse, or another medical condition such as head trauma. So what are the different types of personality disorder? The DSM-5 lists the following. Cluster A is paranoid, schizoid, or schizotypal. Cluster B is antisocial, borderline, histrionic, and narcissistic. Cluster C is avoidant, dependent, and obsessive-compulsive. Other personality disorders which did not make the DSM-5 are passive-aggressive, depressive, and sadistic, which is usually considered to be part of the antisocial personality disorder. So this summary is just a basic introduction to the concept of personality disorders to help you understand what they are and where they come from. The first step to having a successful relationship with someone who has a personality disorder is to educate yourself and be aware of what the personality disorder looks like and what it means. Thanks for listening to Understanding Today's Narcissist with Christine Hammond. Brought to you in part by PsychCentral.com. For more information, visit GrowWithChristine.com. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.